But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's say amen together, church. Amen. Well, good. Go ahead and take a seat uh, this morning, and let's turn to the passage that was just read, Romans chapter 10, looking today at verses 5 through 13. Let me welcome those of you who are watching online right now. Thanks for being a part of our service. Uh, we miss you here in the sanctuary. We're praying for you. We love you. And we're glad that you're able to engage with us and worship and study God's word. So those who are in the sanctuary, those who are watching right now, those who are downstairs, let's just do this in unison right now. Let's open up our Bibles and let's prepare our hearts to uh, study and to receive from God's word. I'll be honest, as we start this morning, what I'm going to do in the next 40 minutes or so is kind of a dream come true for me, because I get to preach on one of my favorite verses of Scripture, Romans 10, verse 9. If I had 10 seconds to relay the gospel to someone, I would recite Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If someone came in the sanctuary this morning or after the service and said, Pastor Tony, what is the essence of this life? What is the purpose of my life? How do you distill everything that you believe into one sentence? I would say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. Was that 10 seconds? That was probably faster than 10 seconds. That's the essence, I hope of what I've preached over the last 12 years at Harvest Decatur. I've probably recited that verse a thousand times from this pulpit. I heard a story a, a while back about the famous Swiss theologian Karl Barth. When he came to the United States, he gave some lectures at the University of Chicago. This was years ago. And when Bart came, he was an older man, and he had lived through World War II, and he had opposed Nazism. And he had opposed Hitler. And he was a famous scholar, a famous theologian who had written tens of thousands of pages of sophisticated and learned theology. And after delivering one of his learned lectures at the University of Chicago, a student asked him this question. He said, Dr. Bart, what is the greatest thought that has ever passed through your mind? Karl Bart closed his eyes. He thought for a while. Then he smiled and opened his eyes and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
That was the essence of his learned theology. Now, that's a good answer. You know, if somebody asked me something like that, I would probably answer similarly. Although, you know, I would want to go a step further with what Bart said, because I would want to give someone a, a statement that encapsulates the gospel and how someone even listening to me that I'm talking with can, can come to faith in Christ. So if someone came to me and said, Pastor Tony, you got a lot of words. Can you distill all of your words into one sentence? What's the most important thing that's, that's ever come to your mind? That what's the, the essence of your preaching after all these years? You know what I would tell people? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the essence, I hope, of what I've tried to communicate as a pastor. Now there's more to Romans 10 than verse 9. So let's get into it this morning. And... Uh, I mean, the outline for this message is pretty simple. I want to keep it simple. How does a person get saved? But I'll just warn you right now, we're going to go deep in Romans 10. There's a simplicity to this text, but there's also a complexity that I want to unpack for you a little bit. Okay, so here we go. Church, how does a person get saved? Go ahead and write this down as number one. Not by fulfilling the law of Moses. Okay, I'm going to give you the answer, the right answer to that question in just a second. But first, I'm going to give you two foils, okay? And these are the foils that Paul gives us here in the text. How does a person get saved? Not by fulfilling the law of Moses. Paul says this in verse 5. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, there's a little debate about this verse as to what exactly Paul is saying is he saying that you know it's possible it's possible to get saved if you fulfill the law perfectly if you do it without fail is that why he's referencing Moses here maybe maybe so the problem is we can't do the law of Moses perfectly Jesus said be her be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and that ain't happening I don't know about with you it's not happening with me and so as we look at this, we realize that Paul isn't presenting to us, I don't think, a real possi possibility for salvation. He's presenting for us a foil. Paul's already made clear in Romans chapter 5 that we are all born into sin and there is no way to fulfill the law perfectly. I've been listening to this uh, band, this new band called the Grey Havens, and they have this song called This My Soul. My Soul. Great, great band from the, the great state of Illinois. Go check them out. But they sing the song, This My Soul, that perfectly encapsulates what Romans 5 says and alludes to what we're talking about here in Romans 10. They sing, This my soul you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it all extends to you. This man meaning Adam. Let the words shake on down along your spine and ring out true that you might find new life. In other words, we have inherited sin from our father, Adam, and it's come down to us, and we cannot fulfill the law perfectly. Tommy Nelson told his congregation once, he said, check right now and see if you have a belly button. <laughs> Do you have one? Do you need to check right now? If you have a belly button, then you probably came from a human father and mother. Just saying. Can you hear the sarcasm in this statement? You probably did, and the chances are you were conceived and brought forth in iniquity. 
You have original sin that was passed down to you from your parents, from their parent, Adam and Eve. Kids, you can turn to your parents right now and say, thank you very much for that. You passed that down to me. We are sinners. We have inherited sin. This is what theologians refer to as original sin. You can call it inherited sin. We are natural born sinners. Nobody has to teach us how to do it. We just do it. That's because we got that from our forefathers. I heard an illustration for this this last week that I thought was super helpful. Just imagine, if you could, everybody bring your imagination to church with you this morning. Imagine, if you would, a group of mountain climbers climbing up this great peak. And these mountain climbers are all tied together with a rope, as mountain climbers are wont to do. Well, in the course of climbing this great mountain, one of those mountain climbers falls and takes a tumble down the mountain. And he's attached to all the other ones. So as he falls, he pulls down the next person. And then they pull down the next person. And then they pull down the next person. And pretty soon, this whole train of mountain climbers is tumbling down the mountain. And what that pastor was illustrating with that illustration is that that's how we are in humanity. Adam fell, and he's dragging all of us down with him. We're all in a state of sin. And you can, you can try to affix your axe to that mountain and hold on for dear life, but you're not going to make it. The weight of history will pull you down to a sinful place just like your forefathers. This is a dire situation we're talking about here. In other words, your works won't save you. Your actions to defeat sin, to fulfill the law on your own, won't save you. Because you can't compensate for that inherited sin that's inside of you. Everybody with me? Everybody understand what I'm talking about? We've dealt with this already a little bit in Romans 5. It's good to review this. So when Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 10, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments perfectly shall live by them. Paul's not talking about a viable way for you to be saved or to have eternal life. This is a foil. Paul writes hypothetically about those who maybe could fulfill the law on their own and obey the commandments, but one mess up, one slip up, you're toast, you're done. Make one mistake, you're out. You don't live by them. And even if, you know, I talk about original sin, this inherited sin, let's just assume for a moment there wasn't such a thing as original sin. There is, by the way. Don't go home and say, Pastor Tony said there's no original sin. No, there is. But let's just assume for the sake of argument there isn't one. You think really that you can fulfill the law on your own without making one mistake, without slipping up at all? Look at verse 6. Paul says, but the righteousness based on faith. So there's this contrast here. Do you see it? Verse 5, the righteousness based on the law, but, verse 6, the righteousness based on faith says to us, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And all God's people said, huh, what? What are we talking about here, Paul? Anybody thinking that right now? Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, okay, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
Just a quick story here. When I was just starting seminary about 20 years ago, I studied this verse for the first time and was trying to make sense of it. And, you know, this was right after Sonia and I got married. And I, I remember distinctly, this is when we were still living in Longview, Texas, and I was taking these classes at Moody Bible Institute. I remember distinctly reading this verse and thinking to myself, huh, what, what are we talking about here? Descend into heaven, descend into the depths. You know, that was my first class at Moody. You know, usually when people go to school, go to seminary, they take like a basic class, you know, like how to interpret the Bible. I was like, no, 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 give me Romans. I'm going to go for Romans. That was my first class. I'm a glutton for punishment. What can I say? And so I, I remember studying this passage and thinking to myself, what? What are we talking about here? I mean, I know Romans 10, 9. I memorized that when I was like a kid. But the context of this, Romans 10, 6, and 7, what? What is that? What's Paul talking about? So, fast forward 20 years, okay? Now I'm a 42-year-old pastor. I've been studying the Bible for years now, you know? Teach, I teach at seminary. I don't just go to seminary. I, I have several degrees in Bible. I have a terminal degree in Bible. I've been preaching faithfully and studiously here at Harvest Decatur for the last 12 years, and I came to this verse again this week. You know what I said when I read this verse this last week? Huh? What? What's Paul talking about here? And then that was even after I translated it from Greek. I was like, well, I'll translate it from Greek. It'll make perfect sense. It didn't. What is Paul talking about here? Well, I did a little more work, did a little more research. Here's what I think Paul is saying, okay? What Paul is saying here, right before Romans 10, 9, by the way, is that you don't need to perform a superhuman feat in order to get saved. Ascend into heaven! You don't need to do that. You don't need to do some impossible thing yourself to get saved. Who will ascend into heaven? Not me. I, I can't do that. Doug Moo, in his commentary in Romans, he says, ascend into heaven. This was like proverbial in Paul's day for doing something that's impossible for humans to do. Who will, who will do the impossible? Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? Not me. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul's actually quoting the Old Testament here. He's quoting from Moses in the book of Deuteronomy while also giving some rabbinic exegesis here. Moses says, who will ascend into heaven? And Paul adds this parenthetical statement, that is to bring Christ down. Moses says, who will descend into the abyss? And Paul adds, that is to bring Christ up from the, idea, uh, from the dead. And the idea here is that you don't need to become Superman to get saved. You don't need to do some superhuman feat to be saved. You don't need to ascend into heaven. Christ has already done that for you. You don't need to descend into the abyss. Christ has done that already. Christ descended into death and then rose from the dead, and he did it for you so that you don't have to. Everybody with me? You see what Paul's saying here? And by the way, just so you know, Moses didn't write the law so that the Israelites could become Superman. Moses didn't write the law, and we don't read the law because dun, 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 we're going to be Superman. We're going to get this done. You know why Moses wrote the law? To show you that you're not Superman. To show you that you need a Superman, that you need someone besides yourself to get saved. Wasn't Moses good to do that for us? Aren't you glad the Bible includes that? Who is our Superman? Is not Clark Kemp? 
It's Jesus. He was able to do these things. He came from heaven. He incarnated into this world. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Stop trying to turn yourself into Superman and instead trust in Christ, the rock for your salvation. Let me go back to that analogy about the rock climbers. So we got, we got this group of rock climbers, right? And they're, they're falling and they're falling and they're falling. The first person to fall in that group of rock climbers is Adam. And he drags all the rest of us down with us. But there's one rock climber, climber in this party who has the power to stick his axe into the mountain and hold on and bear the weight of all the rest of us and keep us from dying. And that rock climber's name is Jesus. And it cost him his life doing that. But as we'll see in just a second, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. We're going to write this down as number two in your notes. How does a person get saved? Here's another foil. Not by a superhuman effort to save yourself. Not by fulfilling the law on your own in your own power. And not by a superhuman effort to save yourself. Romans 10, 6 through 7. You know what this is? It's another foil. It's a, it's a don't be a hero text. That's what it, it's, it's, this is what Paul's saying. You ain't Superman. That's, that's all it is. You ain't Superman, so quit trying. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. What Paul's contrasting here in these verses, I'll just call this, let me illustrate this for you another way. There's law righteousness, and then there's faith righteousness. Verse 5 is law righteousness. Verse 6 and 7 is, and beyond is trying to steer us to faith righteousness. So here, here's the contrast, law righteousness. If you pursue this, you, you, I trust myself. I trust myself. Faith righteousness is I trust Christ. Law righteousness says I have to be perfect. Faith righteousness, on the other hand, says that Christ has to be perfect. Law righteousness is based on my works. Faith righteousness is based on Christ's work. Which way do you want to go with that? Which route do you want to take? Law righteousness says cannot ultimately save. It cannot ultimately save us, says Paul. Faith righteousness, on the other hand, promises and delivers salvation to us. It leads to Christ's imputed righteousness. Law righteousness is based on obeying the Lord perfectly. Faith righteousness is based on calling out to the Lord. Law righteousness, and here's another thing that Paul gets to. Law righteousness, it leads to, to pride. I did this. I want this. I accomplished this. I did this on my own. I don't need anybody else. I'm Superman. Faith righteousness leads to glorifying and praising God. Which way are you going to go with this? Which route do you want to take? Paul's trying to steer us in the way of faith righteousness. Now look with me at verse 8. Let's follow Paul's, Paul's argument here some more. Paul says, but what does it say? What does Moses say in the Old Testament? Well, it says this in that passage in Deuteronomy. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that faith, righteousness is not a do thing. It's a heart thing. Faith, righteousness is not about 
doing and securing. That's law righteousness. It's, a, it's, about, it's about confessing and believing with your mouth, with your heart. And you don't have to go to the highest heaven to get this. You don't have to go to the abyss. You don't have to descend into the abyss. The word is near you, says Paul. It's right in your mouth. It's this close. It's on the edge of your face, your mouth. That's how close it is. It's in your own heart. You don't have to go to the depths. It's right here. All you got to do is say it, believe it. What's ultimately Paul saying here? Salvation is easy. It's simple. It's right here for the taking. All you have to do is say it. All you have to do is believe it. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Go ahead and write this down as number three in your notes. No more foils, okay? Let's answer this question. How does a person get saved? Not by fulfilling the law of Moses, not by some superhuman effort to save yourself, but simply by faith in Christ. Simply by faith in Christ. The word is near you, Paul says, in your mouth and in your heart. This word, this gospel is, is not hard. It's not something you got to strive for. You got to ascend to heaven for. It's near. It's easy. It's on your lips. It's in your mouth. It's, it's in your heart. It's right there for the taking. And I, I, this is hard for us. I know as Christians, because as Americans anyway, it's hard for us as Americans because nothing's easy. <laughs> nothing's free, right? You know, how many times did your parents tell you when you were a kid, there's no such thing as a free lunch? Was it just my dad that told me that all the time? No such thing as a free lunch, kid. Get to work. We get that as Americans. Nothing in this world is free. Nothing in this life is free except the most important thing in this life, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. It's this free gift that, and here's how it works. If you confess with your mouth, if you speak this, if you profess this, Profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That word confess here is the Greek word homologeo. Homologeo, and it means to acknowledge or to profess or to make an emphatic declaration. Homologeo, just legeo means to talk or to speak. This is not logeo. This is homologeo. This is more emphatic. It's more intensive. We don't just speak. We confess our allegiance to Jesus. We, we, we cry out. Before the world, I belong to Jesus. He belongs to me. Jesus says, if you confess me before me, men, Jesus said, if you homolegeo me before men, I will homolegeo you before the Father. I want that. I want Jesus to confess me before the Father. Now, what are we confessing? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we're confessing that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Well, I'll just tell you, Lord here should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We're talking about, the Greek word is kurios, and that word is linked to Yahweh in the LXX, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So we're, we're not just saying that Jesus was a good guy, Jesus did some good stuff, yeah, Jesus lived in this world, Jesus even died on the cross, I believe it. It's, it's way more than that. 
We are confessing that Jesus is the God of the universe. Jesus is Yahweh. He's the one that came to the earth and died for our sins. If you confess that, that's an outworking of your faith. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus says from the overflow of your mouth, sorry, from the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if your heart really believes these things, if your heart really loves Jesus, then that's accompanied by talk, right? I'll just give you an example right now. I, I, love, I love the Denver Broncos. I, I do. And I can't help but talk about that even when they stink, which is right now. They, they're not very good. But I still talk about it because I love them. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you, if you love something, if you know something, if you believe something, you're going to talk about it. John Calvin said it this way. He said, can a flame burn and not give heat? Can a flame burn and not give light? Similarly, there is no faith without talk. There is no belief without confession. Let's just flesh this out a little bit more. Harvest Decatur, I'll give you some sub points here. And I think this is important. Because when we use this term faith and when we talk about belief, we need to be anchored to the truth of the gospel when we say these things. So because the word belief is used for a lot of wild things in our day. Okay, so I'm not talking about like Peter Pan kind of I believe I can fly kind of faith. You just believe in believing or just believe the unbelievable. No, we're, we're, we're anchoring our faith to the truth of God's word and what God says so let's be crystal clear about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ what does this mean write this down to 3a I'll give you three things when I say faith in, how does a person get saved how does a person get saved Pastor Tony faith in Christ faith in Jesus Christ what do I mean by faith in Christ I'll give you three clarifying terms the first one is this saving faith is confessing faith saving faith is confessing it's talking faith. I don't, I'm not, I don't mean a, there's a confessional booth downstairs and you go in and you confess your sins to the priest and the priest intercedes for you before God. That's not what I mean here. It's a, it's a talking faith. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I say it. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's the God of the universe. I mean, you don't have to say it as loud as me, but you got to say it. You gotta talk. Hey, Pastor Tony, you can't talk about that right now. You might get canceled in our culture. So what? I'd rather be canceled by this culture than be canceled by God. You gotta talk. Pastor Tony, Pastor Tony, I have a silent faith. It's deep, deep, deep in my heart. So deep, I can't, I don't wanna talk about it. Can I just say? The Bible knows nothing of that kind of faith, a silent faith. I, I'll just tell you, honestly, for, I don't do silent faith. I believe and I'm going to talk. And the Bible combines here belief and confession, belief and talking. You're confessing your allegiance before the Lord that he is Yahweh, that he's the God of the universe, that he died a bloody and gruesome death on the cross for my sins so that I might be saved. Why wouldn't you talk about that? Why wouldn't you confess that before this world? You can write this down as 3B. Faith in Christ is 
confessional faith, it's confessing faith, it's also resurrection faith. Saving faith is resurrection faith. Notice what Paul says in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul, at the end of that sentence, he goes right to resurrection. He doesn't even mention crucifixion. He doesn't even mention Jesus' death here because obviously if somebody is raised from the dead, that means they died. He doesn't need to say that. The fact that Jesus, was ro Jesus rose from the dead is, is enough here in terms of a confessional statement. And, you know, you have to believe this, by the way. If you don't believe this, you're not saved. If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you're not saved. Okay? You, you have, it's not just, I believe that Jesus was crucified. I believe that he lived. Well, lots of people believe that. It doesn't take that much faith to believe that. Lots of people got crucified in the time of the Roman Empire. It's not enough to say, well, I believe Jesus was a good guy and he died. Everybody believes that and everybody dies. So why would you stake your life and your eternity on that? You don't just believe that Jesus died. You believe that he was raised from the dead. That's the point. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're not going to be raised from the dead. Not to eternal life anyway. Jesus was the only one. You might say, well, what about other people that were raised from the dead? Pastor Tony, what about, what about Lazarus? What about that little girl? Jairus's daughter that Jesus raised from the dead. What about these stories that I hear all the time in Africa and Asia about people being raised from the dead? That's a good question. Is Jesus's resurrection different from those resurrections? Yes, it is. I'll let you in on a secret with Lazarus. He died, was raised from the dead by Jesus, right? And then he had to die again. Poor guy. I feel bad for him. I mean, he got to show off God's power, show everybody who Jesus is. That's cool. But he had to die twice. Jesus didn't die twice. He died once. He was raised from the dead, and he was raised. He didn't just raise from the dead. He rose victorious over the death and sits at the right hand of God, the Father interceding on our behalf. That is totally different than the other, quote-unquote, resurrections of this world. Here's the point. Lazarus' resurrection from the dead wasn't anything like Jesus's. Jesus was raised in a new resurrection body. And not only did he not die again, but he defeated death for you and me forever. Do you believe that, Harvest Decatur? If you don't believe that, then you aren't saved. You are not a Christian. Now, you can believe that right now. You can obey Paul's statement in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now if you haven't done it before. Why is this so important, Paul? Why this talk about confession and belief? Look at verse 10 with me. Paul says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. By the way, let me just clarify this. These are two sides of the same coin. We have belief and confession. Belief and, it's not like, well, I believed about 20 years ago, and then I confessed like, you know, a few years ago. No. These are, what Paul's using here is, is 
an instance of Hebrew parallelism. Okay, he's talking about two things in a slightly different way. So when we talk about somebody's belief and confession, these are, here's a $10 word for you, these are concomitant realities, okay? These are simultaneous. And what Paul is giving us here is some synonymous parallelism. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. Those two things are being done at once. It's not, not, well, I confessed and then I believed. I believed a while back and, you know, maybe I'll confess. No, 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 no. These are the same realities. The mouth confesses and the heart believes. Look at verse 11. Here's the proof text for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him. Who's the him? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The, the him is the Lord Jesus in verse 9. If you remember, that's the same verse that Paul quoted earlier in chapter 9. This is the quotation from Isaiah 28 about the rock, the cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the hope of salvation for all of us. And Paul says, verse 11, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in the rock, everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, the great high priest, the light of the world, the son of God, the king of glory. Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes this. What does Paul mean by everyone? Pastor Tony, everyone and anyone. You mean by everyone like just the Jews, right? They might have asked Paul, is it just the Jews, right? No. Everyone. We might say, you mean just Americans, right, Pastor? No. You mean just middle-class Americans with good values and good upbringing, right, Pastor Tony? No, I do not. And Paul does not. Everyone, when Paul says everyone, he means everyone. Everyone. No matter what you've done. Look at verse 12. Paul says, for there is no distinction there is no discrimination between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, the Lord Jesus is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Take that, prosperity gospel preachers. I love that. Give me some of them riches. What riches is he talking about there? Can I just let you in on a secret? It's not silver and gold. And it's not a stock portfolio either. What are the riches that he's talking about here? But I don't want those riches anyway, because those are perishable, Jesus says. Give me the real riches. Give me the ones that last forever. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, eternal life, assurance of salvation. You can keep your silver and gold. I'll take this. The Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Look at verse 13. Here it is again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be Saved. Here's the final point for our message today. You can write this down as 3C. Saving faith is non-discriminatory faith. It's non-discriminatory. It's resurrection faith. It's confessing faith. It's non-discriminatory. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Y'all heard that before? Christians sing that. I sang that as a little kid because it's true, because that's what we read in the Bible. I heard a pastor say this last week. 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most inclusive religious message ever preached. The most inclusive. And it creates the most inclusive community that has ever existed on earth, i.e. the church. It is. The pastor said this. You can read this on the screen. He said, Christianity is spread all over the world, taking on different expressions and different cultures in a way no other religion has. Islam is still predominantly Arab. To become a Muslim, you basically have to become culturally Arab. Buddhism is still predominantly East Asian. Hinduism is still predominantly South Asian. But Christians are now everywhere split between Europe, North America, Latin America, Asia, and Africa, with it growing fastest in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. He said this. This is J.D. Greer, by the way. He said, if your idea of heaven on earth is a group of white American English-speaking Christians, you're not going to enjoy heaven that much. And he said, every time you pray... On your way to heaven, you're praying to a brown-skinned Middle Eastern refugee. Listen, let me be straight with you, if I can, for a second. We live in a day when everybody talks about discrimination, non-discrimination, discrimination. Can I just let you in on a secret? Everybody discriminates. Everybody does. Even the most liberally-minded people in our country discriminate. If you don't believe me, go home right now. After church, wait till I'm done, and fill out an application for Harvard or Yale and Stanford and see if you get into those schools. Why won't you get into those schools? Because they discriminate. You don't have the grades. Go home this afternoon and apply for a job as a, as a, at, a, at a major media source and see if you get that job and put Christian on there while you're at it. You'll never get that job. You know why? Because we discriminate. They discriminate. Everybody discriminates. It's just a part of human nature that this happens. The only non-discriminatory thing in this world is Jesus Christ saying, everyone, come to me. It's Paul saying here, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know what's scandalous about Christianity? Can I just tell you right now? Do you know why they killed Christians in the first century? It's not because of who they let out or kept out. You, you, can't, you, got, you can't be a Christian. You know what was scandalous? You know why they killed people? Because they let everybody in. Come on in. Everybody can get saved. Everybody can be a part of the church. People didn't like that. And they killed Christians as a result of that. Because what does Paul say? What does the Bible say? What does the gospel say? It doesn't matter if you're a murderer or a rapist or a racist or a tax collector. It doesn't matter if you're a homosexual or a heterosexual. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or which side of the tracks you grew up on. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not that none of those things matter to the Lord. It's not that the Lord doesn't love diversity. It's not that the... Lord doesn't want to deal with sin if you come to Christ as a sinner, which, by the way, we all do. It's that nothing you've ever done and no ethnicity 
or background or demographic disqualifies you from the grace of Jesus Christ. And anyone and everyone can be saved. And by the way, this message is pretty similar to Romans 1 through 3. If you remember Romans 1 through 3, I mean, that, I mean, it was like a year ago when I preached through that, but that series, can I say it now? I think we're far enough removed. That series was kind of depressing because, I mean, what was it? Holy, unholy, you're all unworthy, right? Just every week is like, we're unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. And that's why, I mean, I put a raven on that series logo because it's depressing, we're all depressed. Everybody is unworthy was the essence of Romans 1 through 3, and it's similar here, except it's not negative, it's positive. Everyone is unworthy, but everyone can be saved who calls on the name of the Lord. There's the same universality there. It's just not negative, it's positive. Romans 1 through 3 was everyone is condemned without Christ. The message here is that everyone can be saved through Christ. Right? Steve's with me. Anybody else with me? I'll close with this. We're going to take communion together. We're going to be reminded of what Christ has done for us on the cross. One quick analogy and then we'll be done. I heard this last week. Story, stories told about these Spanish sailors in the 1500s that were a part of this ship that got destroyed. And after the ship was destroyed, they jumped on a skiff and they were down in South America. They were lost. They weren't sure where they were geographically, but they were on this little skiff and they were paddling to keep themselves alive. And they paddled and paddled and they finally found a shoreline. And, you know, they didn't have any food. They didn't have any water. They were exhausted. They were dehydrated. And they had to get to that shore to survive. But the problem was that there was this current that kept pushing them away from the shoreline. So they would paddle and paddle. And of course, they're exhausted. And they couldn't get to the shore. And they, they were frustrated. They said, we're going to die here in the middle of the ocean with land in sight. And they saw, as they looked on the shoreline, there were these native South Americans who were drinking the water. And, and they just thought these natives weren't smart enough to know you can't drink ocean water because you'll die. If you're dehydrated, you eat salt water, you'll drink salt water, it'll just exacerbate your problem and you'll die quicker. But they seemed to be okay. So these guys kept paddling, paddling, trying to get to the shore and they couldn't. The current was too strong and they were too weak. So they said, well, I guess we're going to die anyway. We might as well drink the water, see what happens. So they drank the water. They scooped it up with their hands and come to find out it was fresh water. It wasn't salt water. And it had been there all along. What, what had happened is that in their wandering, they had wandered into the Amazon River, the greatest river in the world, one of the largest sources of fresh water in the world. 
And they drank that water and they were refreshed and they went to the shoreline and they survived and they marveled at the fact that the water that could save them was right there all along. All they had to do was drink it. It was right there for the taking. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 8, the word of the gospel is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your, it's right there for the taking. Don't die and go to hell when salvation is right there for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.